welcome to the A to Z Sports Big Orange Podcast. I'm Charlie Burris. Across from me, digitally at least, is Zach Reagan of A to Z Sports. Wherever you listen throughout the world, we thank you so much for listening to us. Zach and I talk everything balls every week here on the Big Orange Podcast. And if you want to listen to that regularly, go over to the A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed and rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe. Because if you do subscribe, you won't miss our episodes when we drop them on Mondays. And also on Mondays is this live stream where we record the show. You can come in here on YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, check it out, hang out, leave comments, literally be a part of the show. I can't emphasize this enough. You can watch and be a part of the show. Tons of fun every week, 4 p.m. Eastern time on Mondays. So subscribe to YouTube also. Hit the the hit the like button, the subscribe button, and the notification bell. There we go. I'm hip with it. Uh, at Charlie underscore Burris, at Zach DNT, at A to Z Sports, A to Z Sports.com, and Facebook.com slash A to Z Sports Nashville to find all the stuff we write and post on the social medias. Uh, Instagram, too. I'll drop that in here. Follow the Big Orange Podcast on Instagram. We're like right... We created it just a little bit ago, and it's close to 100 followers. So go follow that, too. All right. Folks are already pouring in here. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get to it. It has been a big news day. Convenient for us, Zach. Um, we thought it might be a little slow. There, there were three uh, transfer players committing today. All three, I would say, likely or leaning to Tennessee. One committed at 1 p.m. That would be wide receiver Dante Thornton. You're saying it right now. The comments are saying it literally as we start this show. Omar Norman Lott just committed to Tennessee. Transfer from Arizona State, I believe, defensive lineman. Uh, And then finally, you got, is it Campbell? Uh, Yes. Charles? Charles Campbell? Am I making? John. 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 Charles Campbell's a kicker. (laughs) that's right charles campbell was the transfer kicker that tennessee got uh just a few weeks ago john campbell uh and he's an offensive lineman from miami that tennessee is working on that one i think is the most up in the air but i think it's also still a tennessee lean um from what i've heard what i've seen uh but that one we won't know during the course of the show but two big transfer commitments picked up one literally as we are speaking here but Juwan Mitchell, linebacker for the Vols, transferring out. We're going to talk about it all. Zach, what's up? Uh, big news day, right? I mean, it's a huge news for news day for the NFL with all the fired coaches and interviews happening like crazy. Uh, so been been watching all that. Then with the portal stuff, you know, Tennessee picking up a couple of guys, maybe get another one. Got a guy hitting the portal. Seen a few guys announce their destinations that that transfer from Tennessee in recent days with with Jimmy Holiday going to Western Kentucky and Justin Williams Thomas flipping from was it Stanford to Cal or Stanford Cal to Stanford to Cal, yep. Stanford to Cal yeah that was that was kind of odd but uh yeah exciting couple of days here uh, just after the season ended it is pretty nice the you know that's that's Tennessee for you always something to talk about uh, this day is no different. Um, I think this is obviously a little bittersweet of a day. You get two big commitments at positions of need. That's great. Well, do you even, do you consider wide receiver position of need a position of want? <laughs> when you yeah. watch it, when you watch Dante Thornton play, 
I know he didn't put up huge numbers at, at, at Oregon last year, like 17, 18 catches for 300 and some yards, but that's a pretty high yards per catch average is like 21, 22 yards per catch, which was more than Jalen Hyatt this season at Tennessee. So that dude's a big play waiting to happen. And look at what guys did before they played for Josh Heupel, you know, Cedric Tillman, Velas Jones, and then after. So this guy, you know, he's, I wrote it today. I mean, Tennessee could have another Bolitnikoff winner next year, and I don't know which wide receiver it'll be. It could be literally any <laughs> of the four, to be honest. Yeah, it is pretty wild. And and actually, I guess we can include this too. Since the last time we recorded, we did a midweek segment last week. We speculated that Walker Merrill was probably leaving. That, that became true. Walker Merrill is uh, is out of here. And so... There's been just a lot of action as far as this goes. I think a lot of people have been waiting sort of for this moment to finally come. A lot of Tennessee fans are like, aren't we supposed to be busy in the portal? Team is still pretty thin. We got to pick up some guys. Well, here it is. This is, I think, the start of going from a trickle to a flow, maybe. And uh, still, no movement at defensive back, which is interesting. Um I think there's some to be said there. And then, obviously, with Jerome Mitchell going out, do you have the depth that you want there? Are you chasing more linebackers? Are you chasing more linemen? I mean, Omar Norman, lots of great pickup. Former four-star defensive lineman at Arizona State. Kid from California, actually. Uh, interesting choice, choosing Tennessee. But um, former four-star, that's a great pickup. And you got you got a decent set on defensive line, for sure. Um, but are you still looking for that? But I think the main one that people are looking at still transfers are picking up and you're still not hearing anything about DBs. I don't know how much stock to put in that. I don't, I mean, I I don't either. I know that Josh Heupel is big on culture, obviously, and you got to trust him on that because he's completely changed the culture at Tennessee in a very short amount of time. So maybe he doesn't want to bring in some of these guys that we've pointed out. I know there was, uh, there was uh, one, one DB that, that committed, was it the Syracuse guy? that committed to LSU this week yeah. that I really felt like Tennessee should have got in there with. I mean, that guy was a, he's like the third highest graded, you know, DB in the ACC last year. We talked about how not everybody in the portal can help you. You talk about a guy that was one of the best DBs in the ACC, even if it is the ACC, that's, that's seemingly a guy that can help you. And Tennessee didn't really go after him at all. They were never really involved in that. LSU's added several DBs through this, uh, through this cycle. So, Maybe it's a culture thing. If it is, I understand it. I mean, like I said, you got to trust Hypel on this until you can't. And we're still very early into this uh, rebuilding thing, even after eleven, after an 11-win season. This is still Hypel rebuilding this whole program, and he's still got a ways to go before he gets the depth to where he wants it to be, especially on the defensive side of the ball. But it is it is puzzling, and I, I, don't, I don't really know why they they haven't taken anybody other than they just don't think they're a good fit which is you know we don't know all the information there what they're seeing what they're hearing how they feel about these guys and like i said we just gotta trust that, that that's what's going on well we still got uh people joining us here i saw nugs just showed up what's up thanks to everybody for watching eric uh what's up big 10 jeff is in the comments too jeffrey benson the better jeff the jeff oh, jeff's already given it to me over my top 25 rankings I'll, I'll get to that in a minute after uh after you take care of some business here yeah we we can certainly talk about all of that and and i'll say zach i think your rankings are just fine uh <laughs> but before we get uh, down that rabbit hole i gotta tell you as always about our amazing sponsors superbook sports 
Can you be Vegas this football season? Superbook Sports gives you that chance every week. When you go head-to-head with the best odds makers in Las Vegas, no fancy computer algorithms, no guys across the pond setting lines for American sports, just the best team of odds makers in the business behind the counter at Superbook in Las Vegas. Plus, Superbook features some of the best odds and promo bets you will find anywhere. Download the Superbook Sports app or visit Superbook.com and start your battle against Vegas right now. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-889-9789. Superbook Sports. If you're trying to bet on the national championship game tonight, know where better to do it than Superbook. Go check it out. Um, My preferred outcome for the national championship is for the field to fall in and for the game to get canceled. Um, So... (laughs) Going back, uh, Dante Thornton, Omar Norman Lott, hopefully John Campbell, offensive tackle. off Right, I believe he... So we decided Andre Carrick, the kid from Texas, was more guard. Maybe this kid is the, the replacement uh, for... Uh, uh, Darnell Wright. Darnell Wright. I was thinking Wanye Morris. Why was I thinking Wanye? They came in at the same time. Yeah. Wanye Morris. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah. For Darnell Wright. Apologies there. Um, replacement for Darnell Wright, possibly. Uh, so, s- assuming that that all comes to fruition, the, the offensive lineman is from Florida and choosing between Tennessee, Florida, and Florida State. Again, I've heard it's kind of a Tennessee lean, but not totally sure. Um, how that might shake out, but yeah, still with no defensive backs, I, (laughs) I don't know what they're thinking and I will trust Heupel at this point. I'll trust him for a good long while. He's, he has bought some leash. That is for sure. I mean, I, in 11 and two, the best season in forever. And what more can you say about what happened in the last year with Josh Heupel? So obviously he's bought, Plenty of time in my book. Uh, Mike Vrabel, on the other hand, has far surpassed his time in my book. But <laughs> just for reference, in terms of how I feel about coaches. But um, I, I don't know. The, the transfer portal is just such a two-edged sword. Because, yeah, maybe it is this culture thing why they're not bringing in DBs. You also have that the factor there where you brought in Keenan Peely from BYU, who you think is probably going to be a starter. And that sort of sends a signal to Juwan Mitchell to bounce out of here. And so it's this great thing, great news day, but also, you know, Juwan Mitchell is leaving and he's a guy that was a nice contributor this season. So sort of two two sides of a coin there. Yeah, I don't I don't think the Juwan Mitchell news was too surprising. I think we were both surprised that he came back this season and yeah. <laughs> he was kind of in and out. You know, he he had that nice play against Kentucky where Danico Slaughter you know, made that huge hit, and he got the interception off the carom there, which was it was a fun play, fun night, fun game. Uh, but otherwise, I don't know. He never really carved out like a you're going to count on this guy every down type role. I mean, Aaron Beasley's that guy. Peely's that going to be that guy. You got some young guys coming up, like Mike's been mentioned. So wasn't too much of a shock to see him go. You'd still like to have that depth, obviously. I mean, he has a ton of experience playing at Texas and, you know, now, now at Tennessee – but that's just this world we live in now with this with the transfer portal. Uh, if you're not a starter, uh, there's a good chance that, that you might transfer. It's like the situation with Walker Merrill that you referenced at, at the start. I mean, Walker Merrill was 
pretty much the number four wide receiver for the bowl game and then, you know, didn't see any action and was that number four wide receiver before Thornton commits. And that pushes him down to number five. If you're the number five wide receiver in this offense, you're probably not going to see much time unless there's injuries. And he's going to be a junior this upcoming year. So it probably feels like his clock's ticking. Maybe thinks he can get to the NFL because he is a really talented guy, but that, that that's the deal with the portal. And that's why, you know, there, there's been like some Taven Jackson smoke around. Is he going to transfer yeah. or not? He kind of sent a cryptic tweet out the other night. And is it a play for NIL money? You know, what's the deal? If there is going to be an odd man out in that quarterback room, he's the guy. But if he leaves, you've got two tra- you've got two scholarship quarterbacks. And one of them's a true freshman in Nico, which I think he's going to be as advertised. But he still has to go out there and prove it. And he still has a lot of learning to do. And he has to learn this offense. I mean, game one happens and uh, Joe Milton gets hurt next fall in like the first game. You got to turn it over to Nico. And I'm not saying he won't be able to handle it. But that's a lot to put on a true freshman. I mean, you would like to have a guy that has some experience there to kind of fill that gap in until Nico is truly ready. Because you know how it is a quarterback. You see the NFL all the time. You throw them out there as rookies. I mean, like Malik Willis with with the Titans. I mean, you just don't know what's going to happen or how they're going to react to that that stage. So, you know, the downside with that, with Jackson, if he leaves, and, and we don't know if he is or not, how are you going to find a backup quarterback in the portal? I mean, you go in the portal because you want a starting spot. And and Tennessee is going to have a competition, and I feel like that's been put out there to try to keep Jackson around. And I hope that he does have a legitimate shot to win the job. Like, I hope the best person wins the job. If it's Jackson over Milton, then so be it. If it's Milton, then then great. Let's, let's see them go. But uh, it's a tough spot to be in as a coach right now because you really got to have that number three quarterback, and you want them to be somebody capable – but they're just hard to find. I mean, if you got a three-star guy that's pretty talented, maybe they go to a group of five school to start instead of going to be a backup at Tennessee. It's it's a difficult thing to navigate right now. It's almost got to the point where you need to recruit a backup quarterback. You need to sign like a borderline three-star guy that you're not expecting to start that is okay with being that backup. Like you got to go search for that in high school because I don't think you're going to find one in the portal. It is such a weird time to be – it's a weird time to have a resurgence season like Tennessee did because I think in a few years when the transfer portal and NIL is more set in and more smoothed out, it and I, I also think there's kind of this talk of shifting around the early signing period because the early signing period is like strangling coaches to death. They just – there's zero days off. I mean, it just it never ends. And I think there's going to be changes there that are implemented. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's tough because you want to utilize what is happening right now as much as you can. And maybe, maybe I'm thinking about a little wrong. Maybe it's the prime time for Tennessee to have a resurgent season because they can take advantage of how wild West everything is right now. Uh, and so maybe it's, it's so hard to really determine exactly which direction uh, it's, it's going to go, but things are just, turbulent and 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 you add on to this add this on to the conversation also the conference realignment because the meaning of what it is to come and be an sec football player is going to change here in the next couple of years potentially by next year the talk is with texas and oklahoma if the big 12 
and them can settle up and they get out of there. I mean, it could be next year, probably the or year 2024. Yeah, is yeah. The most uh, likely. Yeah, 2025 is when it's scheduled, I believe. But there's been reports that it could happen in 2024. I think it's. I don't think you could. I don't think it could happen in 2023. That would be moving a little too quick. With oh no 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 I I yeah I don't mean like this coming season. Okay. Of, yeah. Sorry. I should. We're in that weird in between. I should have like, said that better. Well, we're in that weird in between thing right now where the season's over for everybody except Georgia and TCU, which will be over in a few hours here. Uh, so it's like, is next year mean 2023? Is it mean 2024? What a. It's that weird uh weird weird time of year. It, it oh, I wanted to bring up real real quick. Before okay. we moved on from that, Jeff mentioned a walk on when we were talking about the uh, the quarterback thing with the transfer portal. I mean that that's kind of what Tennessee's done right now. I mean Gaston Moore was the backup in the Orange Bowl, yeah. and he was a walk on from UCF. But I mean that's an option, of course. But not every walk on is going to turn out to be Stetson Bennett and, and end up leading you to a, a championship or something. I mean, most of the time those guys aren't aren't going to be able to go out there and win a game against. Missouri like they're probably not going to lead you to a win in that game they're just not like you need somebody that can operate the offense at a decently high level at least, at least in my opinion and I you hope you never need those guys but that you know we've seen plenty of times where court I mean in the bowl game if Joe Milton goes down all of a sudden Gaston Moore is in the game against Clemson and that defensive line would have eaten him alive it, it would have been ugly yeah that that conversation is interesting especially when it comes like Stetson Bennett because you kind of think like who, who would Stetson Bennett also be a starter for in the SEC? As great of a story as that is, and I'm not saying, you know, Georgia can suck it as far as I'm concerned, but it is a great college football story, him being a walk-on and stuff. But he would start at, like, Missouri, Vanderbilt. Uh, I don't – Will Rogers would probably be the guy at Mississippi State. Joe Milton would probably be the guy at Tennessee. Hinden Hooker would definitely be the guy at Tennessee. Uh, you know, who, who would he start over – like you look at at even that kid who's about to play in the national championship game, and even he, there's a number of quarterbacks already in the SEC that would start. Bryce Young for sure. Bryce Young would start over anyone else in the SEC. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's not uncommon though. I mean, if you think back in the history of college football, look at all the great college football quarterbacks that won Heisman trophies and won national championships and never did anything in the NFL. I mean, Jason White, uh, Rex Grossman. I mean, I mean, I guess Grossman had an okay. I mean, he he started some games and and went to a Super Bowl, I think. But that was the defense with the Bears. That wasn't that uncommon back then. I mean, Alabama's had a ton of those guys, right? I mean, their yeah. whole first half of Saban's dominance was a bunch of guys that AJ McCarron, Greg McElroy, uh, game manager. Guys that yeah, a lot of guys that were never going to really do much in the NFL. Yeah, the the quarterback in the age of the transfer portal and NIL is is really something uh and i we'll see how it goes with Taven. yeah he had a, had the cryptic tweet and i was thinking if he goes he's gonna go in in spring after spring practice happens and that it's solidified that he's I mean, a backup you can, you can do that tweeting stuff for some leverage i i fully believe that's what jalen wright did especially since he went back and deleted the tweet just after uh the the new nil deal was announced there at spire sports or the volunteer club so I, I definitely think that's what it is. I mean, these these kids know as soon as they tweet it, it's going to be a huge deal. We're going to be talking about it. People are going to be writing about it. It's going to be all over social media. There's going to be pressure on the NIL collectives to get something done. I do think you kind of roll the dice, though, a little bit because it's like, okay, how much are you going to pay the number three quarterback? What kind of NIL deal are you going to give that guy? Yeah, because, I mean, uh, that that was the first thing I texted you when we 
we were talking about that Taven Jackson tweet. He, he tweets that and we kind of assume that it's like a, Hey buddy, I'm over here. I need my, my cut too. And I kind of go like, you're really, <laughs> you're on the borderline, my man. This is, yeah. you're not a guy that's going to pop up here and just command well, money. It's a shame because like, we really don't know what he can do. I either. know, I know, but he just he hasn't he hasn't had the time on the football field to prove and say, "Hey, I'm that guy, and I I I deserve some change in my pocket for what I've done." Well, you, you haven't played. I mean, that just it's the nature of the position that's quarterback, but uh, it's just tough. Like, uh, you know, you you don't want to be harsh because I I seemingly I really like the kid. He seems like a good kid that they could probably compete for the position, but he's just caught in between, you know, the best, the highest rated quarterback recruit Tennessee has ever had. And, uh, and Joe Milton. <laughs> so that's the dude that you throw it further you know, than anybody else on earth. Exactly. It, it's tough. Um, but otherwise I, you know, we can get more granular. That's, we've really kind of been having a, a thousand foot conversation there, but I actually wanted to talk about, some of the specifics on some of the guys that committed today, like Steve, I think this is a good thing to talk about. Steve Parker says, not trying to put a wet blanket on the Oregon kid coming, but why doesn't he want to stay and play with a Heisman front runner next season? I just always want to ask a kid that is leaving. Um, and we can get a little into Dante Thornton and thoughts there. We we've mentioned he's kind of, his stats are a little skewed. Um, but in terms of him not wanting to stay, I feel like everybody just kind of has different motivations for things. You never really know. Well, I mean, you know? I don't know if you watch Volquist put out a an interview with him, I believe Sunday after his visit to Tennessee. And it's like a three or four minute long video. And I watched it yesterday evening. And the guy was like very, very clearly wants to be a Bolitnikov winner. And he views the fact that Jalen Hyatt did not have a very good season in 2021. Wasn't really focused. He admits that you know, rededicated himself to to working hard and putting in the work to become an elite receiver. And then it paid off in a huge way. I mean, he goes out and has a massive year, one of the best years ever by a Tennessee wide receiver and wins the Bolitnikoff. And it just shows you, I mean, when you combine that with like we talked about with Cedric Tillman and Bayless and even Javante Payton, you know, he had a pretty good year, his one year at Tennessee. You see these types of seasons from these guys that had numbers like Thornton did at Oregon where they weren't, you know, gaudy numbers where it was just mine, you know, wow, this guy put up a thousand yards. Like it wasn't that. And I didn't watch a lot of Oregon, so I don't know exactly the situation. I've watched his highlights, which obviously shows the good, shows his potential. He's real tall, long, uh, has good speed, 4-4 guy, uh, can kind of be elusive and make some nice moves in the open field. Like that's a, that's a dream for Tennessee's offense. So maybe he feels like Oregon just wasn't utilizing him in the correct way. I mean, you can have a talented quarterback and a talented wide receiver and not get the most out of those guys. I mean, look at you know Josh Dobbs, his whole career. I mean, those those wide receivers maybe could have put up better numbers if they put Dobbs in a better situation. Not that they were bad numbers by any means. Those were some pretty good offenses. But, you know, coaching has a big impact on it, and I think he just sees what's happening at Tennessee, and he wants to be a part of it. Uh, yeah. I, that, that's my first, That's my gut instinct on it, at least. Yeah, we're, we're purely extrapolating just from the things that he said. I, he, you know, he hasn't said this to us, but he – he just seems like an excellent fit for this offense. And Tennessee just throws the ball all over the yard, you know? That, that's the nature of what Josh Heupel does. And if you're him, why almost why would you not want to come here? Uh, like, clearly, Tennessee showed this season that if you come here, 
you very may well have a chance to compete for a national championship. Tennessee was one stupid loss to South Carolina away from being in the playoff. And, you know, you can, you can sell and be like, you're the guy that, you know, that takes us there finally. And then on top of that, you can be like, you're going to load up on stats here, man. Cause if you, if you win that job in the rotation and I, I think he probably will, it does bring up the question. Does Ramel Keaton, you know, what exactly is his role if Thornton ends up moving in That's there? That's the biggest conversation, I think, that people are concerned yeah. about. And, look, you have to have depth. Like, we saw that this year. You have to have quality depth. And the fact that Keaton was able to step up when Tillman went down was huge for this offense and really showed how important that is. And Keaton's been a guy – I mean, he said earlier during the season that, you know, he never really thought about the portal after 2021. He realized he needed to work harder. So I think he kind of sees the big picture and he's also signed a new NIL deal with the, with the volunteer club, which that's not bonding, obviously. I mean, that technically is separate from, from playing for Tennessee. I mean, that's supposed to be a completely separate entity, but that is kind of how those deals are viewed is like, Hey, he signed it. He's staying. Uh, he also said in the locker room to, I think 24 seven sports after, uh, after the orange bowl, like that they have their sights set higher next year. So he, he wants to win a championship. He wants to come back and help this program do great things. But, yeah, I, I do think of those three wide receivers, him, Brew McCoy, and Square White, I do think Keaton is the one most get, most at risk because, you know, Thornton can play outside and inside. He's a tall guy, but he can play in the slot. He has experience playing in the slot. The Squirrel's probably going to be that guy, but, you know, we've seen how Hypo moves them around, those switch releases that he uses. You still you, you got White is your deep threat, your speed guy. Thornton taking over that kind of Tillman Keaton role, and then Brew McCoy is more of your short yardage, almost like an Antoine Bolden type guy that's going to go out there and catch a seven yard pass and turn it into twelve or thirteen yards because DBs can't tackle him. He's so big. We saw the Clemson game when he just kind of spun that Clemson DB around. So I think yeah, Keaton his role is the one that's in danger there. But look. Josh Heupel adapts his offense. Maybe he runs more five, four wide receiver sets. Maybe he rotates a little more uh, next year to keep guys fresh throughout games. I mean, because of their tempo, they don't sub a lot in the middle of drives. And if they do, it's usually down close to the goal line where they bring in, you know, bigger personnel, extra tight end or a fullback or something. But he's shown a willingness to adapt and evolve. So we can't rule out that that there will be some tweaks where he utilizes four wide receivers more next year. It's going to be interesting to see what they do. That's for sure. Cause I, you know, you can put it this way. The talent's all there as long as Keaton stays. Um, and so who, <laughs> who's going to be those guys that's that step up. It's going to be exciting to watch spring, spring and fall ball are going to be uh, really oh, interesting yeah. with this team. Uh, but to, to maybe just wrap up that conversation. I mean, we, we could talk more granularly about Omar a uh, lot is, I never know if guys like that. Can you just call him Omar Lot? Do it? Does it every time? Does it have to be Norman Lot? Who knows? Um, but Omar Norman Lot. One of I, these guys, and maybe it's this guy, but there's always one of these transfer guys that you don't really think that much about, and it ends up being like, "Whoa, thank God we got that guy." Yeah. And I'm not saying that he's going to be <laughs> that guy, but that's kind of my my gut feeling because he wasn't really on the radar real heavy right until lately and then he just kind of pops up he's sandwiched in between thornton and then this offensive lineman that you really need later to replace darnell Wright. uh and, and this guy's more under the radar watch him end up being like one of the most important players for tennessee on that defensive line next year 
Man, I hope so. It would Man, be him and Omar, Omari Thomas like beside each yeah. other. That's a pretty, pretty insane middle middle of your defensive line. I hope so. I like that. Would be so nice to have a good surprise like that on on defense. Obviously, with Heupel, you've had plenty of those dudes on offense already, just in two years. But on defense, it would be so nice to have that pop up. Asher um, says, "I can't keep up with all this transfer uh, transfer portal stuff. Look, nobody can. It's so all over the place." It's it's happening so fast, and luckily, I think it ends January. What January fifteenth is when the window closes for sixteenth, yeah, somewhere one, in the middle of January. The window closes until May, I believe. So it'll it'll calm down for a little while, and then it'll kick back up after spring practice. And there'll be a whole nother round of all of this, and then jockeying around trying to figure out who goes where. Yeah, we'll we'll cross that bridge when it comes. And then with uh I'll I'll say before we get into the final part of this conversation, we'll we'll talk about maybe if we do a, a midweek segment like we have been, we can talk about uh John Campbell if he if he ends up uh committing. If he doesn't, we might just skip that. But um if he ends up at Tennessee, we'll talk about that maybe in the midweek. He just he just set his commitment at seven o'clock tonight, and I'm gonna be at a friend's house watch, watching the national championship at that point. So to f- wrap this conversation up. Just wanted to talk quickly about Juwan Mitchell uh, bouncing out and what that means. We already said it. This had been swirling around for a while. We were surprised he even came back this year. He contributed nicely in 2022, uh, but he still was, I guess you would say, like a part-time starter. It wasn't, he missed the first few games of the season and we were even skeptical that he would ever play. It ended up being, I think he was just kind of injured with a nagging thing and came back, had some nice plays this season. To me, I mean, this is Peely just taking a spot, right? Like it just, that solidified it, I feel like. Like it was just, you're bringing in this really senior kid who's been a great team leader for BYU. I think to the point, did somebody say he has children? Like a, or, or a what? Not, not children, a wife. Isn't yeah, he married? married? Yeah. Yeah. He's like married. He's, he's a grown man with a wife and a mortgage, uh, Peely. <laughs> so, um, yeah. I mean, it just, that, that's just what it feels like. And then obviously you hate it because you go like, man, he would have been a, an amazing depth piece on this team. That would like that set of linebackers just jumps off the page and you go, Hey, that's, that's a nice little trio right there. And then you bring in, you're, you know, Caleb Perry, Elijah Herring, the guys that are kind of sitting back there. Um, and it's it's a nice set of linebackers. Now Mitchell's gone and those backups suddenly become purely young guys unless you go with another transfer. So to you, what exactly does it mean? Should we be too concerned, even though the writing was kind of on the wall here? Yeah, I'm not. I mean, I'm not concerned at all because I kind of expected it. I've kind of got the vibe that maybe culturally he wasn't the best fit i mean that's nothing negative about him it just seems like maybe the the vibe i don't know he he didn't play in the first part of that clemson game he didn't show up until what late in the second quarter second half somewhere in there and it was kind of odd with jeremy banks out you feel like he would have been playing a pretty big role i think solemn page was was playing a little more instead of him which was surprising so i don't know what was going on there if there's something internal going on I, i think it was just tom for him to move on time for the program to move on. I wouldn't be surprised if they do go find another depth piece at linebacker in the portal, just to have some experience, maybe a graduate student who wants to play another year in the sec or something. Doesn't really have NFL plans is okay. Kind of playing that reserve role. There's plenty of guys in the portal 
to choose from. So maybe they'll be able to find somebody to fill that gap. And we, we also got to talk about this Pittsburgh Pat Narduzzi stuff. There's lots of people in the comments uh, going on about that, which has kind of been a big thing this week. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I just wanted to cover quickly about sort of the meaning of that John Mitchell situation. I it, it is what it is. Hopefully, Peely ends up being that dude. Obviously, Beasley is that dude. So I'm I like where that set of linebackers is at, and hopefully, like Herring, he keeps getting better. He flashed yeah. at times this season. That'd be nice. Beasley looks like he's going to become just a, a superstar in the SEC in his last year. I mean, he really came on so. Throughout the year, he made some good plays. Like he made a that fourth down stop against LSU right before the Jalen Hyatt touchdown from Hooker. That was Beasley going right to the right spot to make that play. He kind of quietly did stuff like that all year long. And then we saw towards the end of the year, he's such a good blitzer. And Tennessee has that deal. It, it looks like when the running back kind of vacates the backfield, they're blitzing no matter what. They're coming because they don't have that extra protection there. And they're going to trust that they can get there faster uh, then the quarterback can get the ball out, and especially against Klubnik in the Orange Bowl, that strategy definitely works. So I'm really excited to see him next year and to kind of see him take that next step. Yeah, it's, I really that Clemson game was exciting to see that to have to have what looked like a real dog in the middle of that defense. That's fun. That's exciting. So he's just kind of a go about your business guy. Like he didn't really. Not that I have a problem with celebrating at all. I love swagger on the field like keep it within reason don't get a penalty but i like having that confidence that kind of that attitude that we saw from tennessee really in like the kentucky game like that was that defense was having fun we saw some of that in the clemson game too but beasley's just kind of a keep your head down and and go get it done and go line back up again it's fun to watch kind of old school feeling with him absolutely Ho hopefully the ascendance continues there with him um and now we can talk a little bit about narducci i mean narduzzi um Pat Narduzzi, yeah, Elias says it right here. We can start here. Says, Pat Narduzzi gives me heavy pay attention to me vibes. He, this whole thing with the we should change the rules of football because my feelings are hurt type of stuff. I can't stand it. Nick Saban was a pioneer in this with uh, with Gus Malzahn back in the day. Um, the, the coaches that, <laughs> that get beat by a certain thing, you know, there's a certain type of coach that goes, all right, I'm going to take that and get better. And then there's another type of coach that's going to complain about that and say, mm, what was me? Change the rules for me. So Narduzzi, correct me if I'm wrong. He said that he wants um, microphones in the helmet, like the NFL, uh, where you don't have to use signals on the sidelines for players, but uh, for the quarterback specifically, you don't have to use signals to call the plays. But then he says, if they do that in college ball, he wants the rules changed where you have to wait until that 25 second play clock starts to snap the ball, uh, which, of course, would derail what Josh Heupel does. Now, we've talked about Joshua, Josh Heupel's offense operates on the margins. He pushes the rules of football. And and you see it, you know, the the offense somewhat frequently this season got called uh for would it be considered offensive pass interference or whatever it was where, you know, they're, they're blocking downfield and it gets called back. And um, so he's, he was pushing the rules, but it's all legal. Uh, I mean, this isn't going to happen and this is dumb, but just, it, it just shows you like, 
I don't know what you want to call Narduzzi. It's it's not even if you can't beat him, join him, because he's not saying he's going to start using his offense like that. Like that, he's just throwing a tantrum and going change the rules for me, or else because I can't beat this. Yeah, it's it's a little more nuanced than just the offense, but you can tell. Like I think that's the root of it for Narduzzi. Like this came up talking about sign stealing, and every college football coach is very paranoid apparently about the sign stealing because if the offense is moving so fast, they're giving signals. I mean, you see it at Tennessee games. You got three guys on the sideline giving signals. They're looking at one of them, I guess, and however that works, and they're changing it up, and they're holding up screens behind them so TVs can't cap- capture it and somebody decode the signs. I mean, there's all kinds of paranoia going on to the point where people are concerned that the guys operating the chains who are hired by the school where the game's at uh, are are in on it at times, so that that's like kind of what led comments though can tell you where his heart really lies on this because he said, you know, if they do this and they put the communication in the helmets to eliminate the sideline signals, so that would take all that out, then he thinks that the offenses would move even faster than they already do because they wouldn't have to look at those signals. So maybe it's like a second or two faster. Tennessee can snap the ball. So to, to combat that, he like like you said, he wants to wait till there's 25 seconds left on the play clock, which would be a full 15 seconds in between every play at minimum to snap the ball, which like that's just not going to happen. But his comments said, you know, if they do that, quote, then we can actually huddle on offense, huddle as a defense, and now we can talk to the Mike linebacker and give a defense. And now all of a sudden we have a real game, and now our offense is, you know, their off defenses can't steal signs because that's what happens. It's it's and Levis. He says he's it's Levis gonna, all over again. It's real football. He, yeah, and he says he's going to propose that rule to the NCAA rules committee uh, this off season. Look, you referenced Nick Saban with it in in 2014 when he he didn't want the ball snapped before 29 seconds was his particular rule. So it was like 11 seconds, which is still moving pretty fast. But Tennessee sometimes you can go back and watch. Not every time, but there's times there's like 32. 33 seconds almost left on that play clock. I mean, that's how fast they're moving. If it's a short running play, they're getting right back up there within a few seconds and snapping the ball. So that would, it would slow Tennessee's offense down. And Josh Heupel definitely doesn't want that. I mean, that's why he got flagged in the Clemson game because they were taking so long to, they were setting the ball and kind of standing over it, looking back at the defense to make sure they're set. I mean, that's not your job as a ref. You spot the ball and you get out of there. And that's on, I mean, that's on the other team to get set and to run their defense. So, I would like to hear Josh Heupel's thoughts on this. I'm sure it's made its way to him, and, and I'm sure he he knows like the rest of us that it's never going to pass. If Saban couldn't change the rules, Pat Narduzzi's definitely not going to be able to change the rules. But I would like to have seen his reaction when he first saw this. Yeah, I think the the main problem with that, he may get some sympathy from folks at the rules committee. I don't know. Uh, but the main problem is that that would fundamentally change the way college football is yeah. played. I mean, that would and just And they're not going to be... take... They're not going to take offense out of the uh, out of, they're not going to take offense out of the game. Like you don't want to have less scoring, right? There's zero chance that that's going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. So, I, good luck, I, Narduzzi. I just noticed by accident. I, I I'm going to have to fix this. I accidentally I was trying to block uh, a spam commenter, and I accidentally blocked Elias Gray over here. I'm going to have to get him out of there. Yeah, it was mm. a porn bot, and I. Does it just block from commenting? Can you? I don't see? know. I don't know, but I I apologize. I I'll get it fixed if he if he can still watch. I'll get it fixed. 
And I you think have, you, you can. you'd have to send an A to Z gift certificate or something. If we have I know, this, we'll have to check with uh, HR. This is a real travesty, but I just wanted to make sure that I <laughs> that I say that I was trying to block the bot. It's on the and, record. And he got he got caught in the crossfire. He he or I guess I don't Elias. That's either way. Um, that's dumb. Pat Narduzzi's an idiot. Uh, and congratulations to him. I don't think that that's going anywhere uh, as far as changing the rules or anything, but had to cover it because it certainly would affect Tennessee deeply if that ever did come to fruition. Yeah, but I said, um, I, don't, I don't think anything's going to happen. No, uh, but from that else, football, before we move to basketball, Zach, well, yeah, with football is- I guess I got to talk about these top 25 rankings since, uh, since Jeff brought up my rankings sure. I put out. And I I will say that I fully believe Tennessee should be above Alabama no matter what. I thought that was the case before. I just don't think that you can have the same record and lose head-to-head and lose to LSU and then Tennessee beat LSU like they did and have Alabama ahead of Tennessee. I think there's a lot of Bama bias going there. But admittedly, I think when I put these rankings together and after I've thought about them for about the last 24 hours, I, I do think Ohio State should probably be at number four and Tennessee at number five. I think Tennessee has better wins because they beat Alabama, who's going to be top 10. They beat Clemson, who's going to be probably 11th or 12th at worst. They beat LSU, who's going to be top 15. And Pittsburgh, I think, could sneak into the top 25. I've got them in mind. And that's really not so much because of what Pittsburgh did. It's just what the other teams around them did. And there's a bunch of eight and five teams. I don't see an eight and five team like South Carolina. I think South Carolina is probably one of the 25 best teams in the country, but I don't think you can have an eight and five team in the final top 25. It's, it's, uh, it's it kind of contradictory there, but that's just how I kind of feel about it. But I do think Ohio state making the playoff, losing the way they did the Georgia on the missed field goal. I do think they probably deserve to stay top four uh, with everything considered when you bring that up. Yeah, and and their two losses were much better, or at least one of them uh, was much better than Tennessee's South Carolina loss. Uh, so I, I will I'll bend the knee on that a bit. I will. Ohio State. Okay. <laughs> I, Ohio State is uh, a team that has won nothing this season of significance. They've beat a bunch of elementary school teams uh, in an elementary school league. And they're a joke. So they don't get any sympathy from me. And Jeff, uh, you are the weakest link. Goodbye. All right. I, I do think they, they did perform better in that Georgia game than I initially expected. And that's why I think TCU might have a chance tonight. I, I, I still think Georgia wins, of course. And TCU will have to play really perfect. And I think Ohio State's probably a better team than TCU. But Georgia, I mean, they've. They showed some flaws. I mean, Ohio State, if Marvin Harrison doesn't get hurt, I think Ohio State wins that game for sure. It's what makes me ill thinking about, like, if that Georgia game could have just been in Neyland and, you know, you wouldn't have had that, I don't think, that same outcome where Tennessee is such a deer in headlights. Yeah, they, they put themselves in a, so many bad situations. Yeah. And it's, look, you can, I know it comes across as making excuses for losing that game. I mean, Georgia straight up beat Tennessee that day. They did. But there are, I mean, it is still true that Tennessee did things to hurt themselves that day. And the crowd played a big factor in that. And Tennessee did not handle the noise well. They didn't at all. They didn't handle it well at South Carolina. That is one of the things about this team. 
that that they're going to have to figure out moving forward. They're going to maybe they learn from these experiences and they get better in that area. But that's one thing this offseason. I know they won at Pittsburgh. They won an early game at LSU, whereas a lot of Tennessee fans down there was a lot friendlier than it was at Georgia and South Carolina. But that that's something that they've definitely got to work on this offseason. Okay, I think I got Elias Gray unblocked. So hopefully that works. Just an update there. Um, I, yeah, I'll, I'll just leave it there. That's a good conversation that I could have for a while in terms of who who's better, who, you know, who deserves what ranking from the resume they have. It, you just, you would be hard pressed to get me to steer away from, I mean, Tennessee, Alabama, LSU, the only loss, uh, outside of that South Carolina game was to the team that's going to win the national championship tonight. I mean, I'll tell you the the part about the rankings. I don't feel, I I don't love Michigan at three. I just think that you can't drop them further than that. Like, I don't think they're probably the third best team in the country after watching a couple of their games late in the season. I mean, they're a good team, no doubt, but I don't, you know, but I, I, you can't drop them with one loss in the playoff below third. I don't think. No, I don't think so. But I, th- I guess we could uh, just quickly. Who wins tonight? Who do you think? I think Georgia wins. Uh, I- I'm torn. I mean, I thought those games on Saturday were going to be blowouts. All right, I thought Georgia was going to have their way with Ohio State. I thought Michigan was going to have their way with TCU. And CJ Stroud looked great. I mean, was, I-, I haven't watched a lot of Ohio State this year, but I gotta imagine that's one of the best games he's played. And I mean, right on time for the NFL draft too. If you're if you're that guy, I mean, that really helps your draft stock a lot. And and I, but after watching that game and then TCU Michigan, which was a fan, both those games were fantastic. Probably the best day of playoff games we've ever had. Uh, yeah. But TCU's a team. I mean, I, I slept on them a lot this year, and I and I, I will say, when I was kind of down on TCU, they really hadn't played anybody at that point. But then those last couple of weeks was when their schedule got tougher, and they they won those games they needed to win uh, to put themselves in this position. So I think they're a lot better team than I gave them credit for. I think Max Duggan's a gamer that just comes out and shows up under the lights. So I don't know. Like I think Georgia wins, but I, I wouldn't be shocked if TCU makes it really interesting and has a chance. There is a path to TCU winning, but it is almost like Georgia can just sort of turn it on when they need to. It's like it's it's in there, and they don't harness it all the time. But when they need to harness it, suddenly they can jump up and, and get I mean, it's what they did to Ohio State. They were dead in the water against Ohio State. And the, just when it came down to it, man, they, this, they finished them off. Jeff says that Stroud may come back. I, I Why wouldn't, would you come back? You're the, yeah, why would you come back? But then you see Jared Verse at Florida State is going to be a top 10 pick probably, and he's coming back. And Blake Corum at Michigan today said he's coming back. And I don't understand those decisions at all. So who knows at this point? With NIL, it's because throw the, it out there. Maybe it happens. I don't know. It's, it's this. It's because the ACC and the Big Ten are such soft leagues <laughs> that they're not scared of getting injured. Um, and so, well, actually, Blake Corum got injured this year, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nah. Uh, jokes aside, there's there's that as far as football goes. Let's finish with the talk about your top five Tennessee basketball volunteers. Uh, talking about that South Carolina football game. Uh, 
the basketball team went to Columbia and th- not only did they not lose like the football team did, they gave South Carolina the single biggest loss in the history of their arena, which I think was since the 90s or so. Um, just brutalized them. Be what I believe won by 43. Uh, it was like 85 32, something just absolutely annihilated them into oblivion and provided, as Steve says in the comments here, revenge for, for the football team. It, it was pretty gratifying. I'm not gonna lie, a little, uh, a little satisfaction there watching Tennessee just drill South Carolina. Now South Carolina's basketball team is very, very bad. I think there's a, an actual chance they don't win an SEC game this year. Uh, Cause they, they already lost to Vandy and that might be one of your only shots at winning one this season. Um, but man, this team, I I'll start the conversation this way. If they play the way that they played against South Carolina, and against Mississippi State, I was at that Mississippi State game. It was unreal. They just they smashed Mississippi State too. Mississippi State is not nearly as bad as South Carolina. They're a pretty decent team, actually. Um, they just blew them both away. If Tennessee plays that way when it matters, when we get to tournament time, that's a Final Four team. It is. Now, of course, that's been Rick Barnes' thing. He can't get his teams to play that way when it comes down to it. He did last year in the SEC basketball tournament. Um, but then when they got to the tournament tournament, things changed uh but i that's it man they could beat absolutely anybody playing like that like they did this weekend how much do you think that josiah jordan james coming back and playing uh, what 17 minutes or so how big i mean is that like is that right there the key is that what takes this team to a final four level because it's something we talked about before with him being out how big of a loss that is and how important he is and you know, he comes back and it's not like he went off in that game or anything, but just his presence being around, allowing Rick Barnes to kind of run his team the way he foresaw running it in the preseason. How big of a difference do you think that makes? And how worried are you about him staying on the court the rest of the year? I'm certainly worried about him staying on the court for the rest of the year, but he looks good and he's playing to me like a solid number of minutes. And if it's too much, for him to play any more than that, that's okay because obviously the contribution's been excellent. Uh, and like your game coming up, it's Vandy. You don't need to wear him out against Vandy. You're going to, you should at least beat them without having to stretch him at all. Um, but I, I, I think it's big, Triple J coming back. But to me, the biggest thing, it's been a combination of two things. It's been Josiah coming back and then it has been Olivia Kama. Uh, taking this turn to being, I mean, in the, he hasn't missed a shot in 2023 and the combination of him suddenly emerging and triple J coming back, it gives Tennessee this inside out action on offense that they certainly have not had up to this point in the season um, where they can really score inside, they can really score outside. That gives you easier shots outside, and it gives you easier shots inside, and suddenly the offense just works better. Um, and, I, I mean, if they can keep that up, Tennessee is the number one defense in America. It's Honestly, so far through the season, 
the statistics are absurd. It's one of the best college basketball defenses like in the in the modern era statistically so far. I mean, you it's up there with like the Virginia team that won the national championship. I mean, they're playing incredibly elite defense and then you add to that offense and what that creates is 40 point wins <laughs> against South Carolina and what it creates against an actually good team like in Alabama is maybe like a 10 point win. I and mean, you have Alabama on your home floor in a couple weeks. Um and like Tennessee is favored as of now, Tennessee is favored in every game they have for the rest of the season, as they should be. They are favored to win, at least in like Vegas. They're favored to win the SEC. Uh, Kentucky looks like a big old stinker this season. Um, they got absolutely annihilated by Alabama over the weekend. There are now I mean, rumors that John Calipari could be going to Texas. So I, things are falling apart up there. That's a different conversation all in itself, yeah. honestly. But I like it's it's all about playing right at the right time. You don't there's no reason in peaking in January. That's not when you want to be playing your best ball. You want to be playing right. your best ball in two months. But the fact that they can do this, whew, it's exciting because if they can harness it at the right time, that's the final four team. Period. What's uh this is something else I wanted to ask you because you're more of a basketball guy than I am. What do you think about Julian Phillips, his play so far, and what does he need to do the rest of the season? I mean, is he living up to what you think, or how how do you feel about him right now? It has been. And should he still be? Should he be starting? Well, the the person that would start over him is Josiah, and I like him coming off the bench. Actually, actually, it's kind of like Eurosh in the starting lineup. It's like uh, you like uh, the guys behind him coming off the bench almost a little bit more um it just kind of operates a little bit better that way uh so i i say starting him doesn't really matter because you can take him out 30 seconds into the game and it's not a huge deal but he it's been underwhelming but also not totally unsurprising and he has certainly shown that when he turns the corner, I think he absolutely will turn the corner. I don't think that's in question. It's, it's a win, not an if, yeah. uh, when he turns the corner, it's just going to elevate this team even more. But if Josiah stays healthy, they're going to be battling for minutes and Josiah is going to get the benefit there. Um, if he, if he does finally get to that point where he's playing 20 plus minutes a game or something. So, I kind of, this is selfish, but I kind of hope that he ends up, he's playing his best ball at the end of the season, which I think will end up happening. But I hope that it's not so good that he, he goes, that he comes back. I hope he comes back next season. <laughs> I mean, that's because I, man, I, I think he'll be really special in time. Like give him, yeah. give him a minute. I think he'll be a really high level college basketball player. It's just not there yet. He'll get that's, it. That's the weird thing with basketball though. I mean, a guy like him where maybe he doesn't, just blow up immediately as a true freshman, he'll still end up getting drafted high if he goes just draws a potential or he could, you know, potentially go first round or whatever. You know, kind of like Kennedy Chandler last year. If Chandler had some more height. He definitely would have been drafted earlier. But NBA drafts so much on potential. I mean, that's so hard to pass up if you're one of those guys. So I, I, I sometimes I don't know how much that factors into it, but you're right. It at least gives uh, Tennessee a chance there to, to keep him around. I think you're right. I mean, I think you see – the talent it's flashed and if he does turn it on later i mean tennessee's just gonna be so much better come march when it really matters 
Um, I did want to point out my favorite stat from that South Carolina game. You're talking about their defense is they had, you know, 13 steals in the game and none of those steals came off the bench, which is insane to me. This team is I, – I don't want to say it's the deepest college basketball team I've ever seen. It is one of the deepest I've ever seen. I would put it that way. That doesn't necessarily translate to wins – depth i mean it just kind of means you have adequate players on your bench yeah we've seen lots of teams with like seven man rotations and win championships this team has a 10 man rotation maybe even more (laughs) like it's crazy because you drop like from Eurosh, you go to adu and from adu you go down to tobey awaka and they're all i would say out of all of those the starter Eurosh is actually playing the worst feels like a walker should get some more minutes yes and i think he will i think he'll continue to get more minutes he's he is a very solid rebounder. Adu has continued to to get better and better. He's progressing, and then it's just sort of that almost at every position. I I think since uh, since the injury, Vescovi has been playing lights out, and then Zakai Ziegler has been playing. He he is just sort of throughout the season gotten better and better and better. He's still young, still a sophomore, just continues progressing. I mean, if you can get to the end of the season. And Sakai off the bench has become a true, very serious point guard um, who is as good at facilitating as I think he can be. Vescovi keeps getting better. Uh, you keep Josiah healthy and he, you know, he stays on the right track. You get even better play out of Phillips. Kamwa stays playing well and gets even better. I mean, this is a powerful basketball team. I, as much as we can mock Kentucky, that's a pretty serious game. I, I think Tennessee will blow Vanderbilt off the floor on Tuesday night. Um, they might not. Vanderbilt is, strangely, Vanderbilt is not bad, like just flat out bad, but they're not good. Um, Tennessee should, unless they just have a totally off shooting night, they should win by double digits fairly easily. But that Kentucky game, it's going to be imperative on those big guys to play well. You have to uh, eliminate... Uh, What's his face out of the game? The um, uh, the center. Um, why am I drawing a blank? Folks in the comments, help me out here. Uh, the he's uh, I can't think. The All American, the preseason Player of the Year. Uh, dude, I, someone. Yeah. Is there are, folks? There are 133 people watching right now. There's somebody. Shebway, Rusty. Oh. Coming through for me. Oscar Sheway. Why was I trying to blank? This doing live. So deep. The team's so deep. There's too many players. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah, was- Charlie, I have to interrupt you because the Titans just fired Todd Downing. Oh! Ian Rappaport. Really? Ian Rappaport has reported it. Ian! And it's not a fake account either. I told him. Uh, I... I... That's <laughs> kind of funny because I... Look, Austin, Austin Stanley, our own Austin Stanley, is uh, immediately popped in here. Uh, <laughs> oh man! Um, Perfect timing too, as we near the end of the show. This is usually when uh, yeah. a little bit of Titans talk happens. Get you get my actual live reaction to finally our long national nightmare is over. Pure elation. This is, like when Alabama, town, this is like when Tennessee beat Alabama. Charlie's going to take his shirt <laughs> off and have a cigar right here on the live stream. Hey, that, that's fitting. That's what this. Yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. It's the Tennessee Alabama shirt. Actually, 
Um, and I mean, this is big time for for A to Z content. Of course, every every Titans fan is on pins and needles, wanting uh, has been on pins and needles, wanting Todd Downing fired. Great timing, several hours after the media availability. I mean, not that they were ever going to fire him before the coaches spoke and players spoke today, so they didn't have to answer those questions. I'm I'm just glad because I I I love buck rising covers the titans for a to z and has a radio show on 1045 in nashville um he was very smug before the game yesterday and then this morning where he was like don't get your hopes up that they're gonna fire downing blah 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 and i'm i again big big buck fan he does good work for a to z i'm uh, so he also fired the offensive line coach secondary coach and uh offensive assistant too if you're oh keeping up and i mean after the offensive line play i felt like that was probably a given and to in their defense with luan hurt that didn't help but he's always hurt so the, the and the choice to play dennis daly i mean come on um, i think there's a lot of people in these comments that or uh somebody that could block better than him <laughs> with, or, at least not, or at least not get penalized every play I think the the worst offensive lineman I've ever seen in the NFL. It was just incredible. Gave up like 14 sacks or something, just an unreal number. We can uh, and only played a small, you know. And we can quickly spin this too into uh, Josh Dobbs a little bit. Uh, that it, it was nice getting to see him start a couple of games for the Titans because he's been in the league since 2017. He's never got a chance to start. I think if we're being objective, he did. He did a lot of good things. He did. He he, he let his inexperience show a couple of times. Could have, and, and a lot of that had to do with not being in the offense. But since what December twenty first, twenty second, I mean, he hasn't been there very long. There's a couple of things where he could have thrown the hot route, or you know, got the ball out a little quicker, maybe slid protections, little minor things. But outside of that, I thought he played really well, and he gave the Titans a chance to win the game. And the mistakes that were made. Also, a lot of that's on the offensive line for breaking down, allowing guys to get to him. Uh, I know, it wasn't a great situation for Dobbs to make his first couple of starts, but after watching what Malik Willis did in that offense, I thought Dobbs played really well and can can be a spot start guy for you at minimum. I, I mean he, it. Yeah, I mean he can he can jump in there and play with with a with a with an offensive line that is. But that same offensive line with a different player other than Dennis Daly, with that mixed with a better offensive coordinator, Dobbs not only wins that game, I think they like, I don't want to say run away with it, but Jacksonville played terrible in that game. Yeah, Trevor Lawrence did zero to win that game. Oh, tre- Trevor Lawrence. I said it to you before we got on here. Trevor Lawrence got that uh, that lemon booty. He's he got, <laughs> He was scared out there, man. He was just... Yeah, he's he got some ghosts. I mean, he he couldn't deliver when it mattered, and Dobbs got out there and was just calm, collected, got it done. And he, you know, the the fumble happened because Dennis Daly sucks. You eliminate that, the Titans win. That single play, the Titans win. Um, and then uh with a better offensive coordinator, I think they probably score 24 points in that game and, and win by like eight points. And like I I you know, all credit to Dobbs. Yeah, he's not. If he, per se, Tannehill gets shipped out, and for some reason he's our starter next year, and we're probably not winning a Super Bowl with the guy. But he's serviceable at a baseline, and I think could be pretty... He's just he's really smart, man. He just really grasps concepts well, and and he 
with that offensive line, he panicked on a few plays and missed some things. But, like, you know, it, that's kind of the nature of that position when your offensive line is absolute garbage. So all the credit in the world to Josh Dobbs in that game did it in just a more than admirable effort that he gave there. I can't think of enough. It was so fun to just see a Tennessee guy out there and until the fumble, until the fumble that gave the Jags the lead back. I mean, I was about to be just absolutely ecstatic. I, I even was, was one of the people on the fence where I was like, I kind of hope we lose so that this thing gets ripped apart. Like I'm like a, Tear it down. We, you know, making the playoffs gives Rabel an ex- excuse to not do anything. And I was almost one of those people. But when Dobbs became the starter, I was like, man, I want to see Dobbs win. I want yeah. Dobbs to get a chance in a playoff game. That would be so fun. And, you know, to honestly, to see it stolen on a play that, in my personal opinion, was an incomplete pass uh, is gross. And he gave such a great effort. But, is what it is. The t- that offensive line is just so bad. What are you gonna and the and the set of wide receivers so bad. Like, yeah. ugh. Um, is what it is. But man, I will say it. with with, with Dobbs, it. I saw some somebody tweeted about it, and, and I hadn't thought about it in this way. And I think somebody tweeted at me. It's surprising that Dobbs hadn't at least got a spot start in six years. I mean, you stick around in the NFL for six years, and you expect at some point. You I mean, Nathan Peterman's had several starts and we saw how awful he was at Tennessee, but somebody brought up, was like, is he a, at Tennessee Dobbs was not a good practice player. We saw his practices at times and they weren't great. I remember in 2013, Josh Dobbs is a true freshman and Butch Jones came in and you had Justin Worley, Nathan Peterman and Riley Ferguson all on the roster. And you had four quarterbacks. And I remember going to those practices and watching what little bit they let us see. And even just, throwing routes and, and running through drills, Dobbs looked like the worst of the four through those practices. I thought Riley Ferguson looked way better than what he ended up being. At times, I thought Nate Peterman looked like the, the, he should be starting over Justin Worley. Uh, and I think Butch obviously went with Worley because of the experience. But I understood based on practice not playing Dobbs. And then when he got in games in 2013, second half of 2014, last two years he's the starter, we saw – the dude just plays well under the lights. He wasn't perfect. He'd be off target on his throws. He was high on throws a lot at Tennessee. But, he, I mean, without Dobbs, you know, Butch Jones is, does not survive 2015, maybe not even 2014 because of the way that he helped them get to a bowl eligibility with that comebacking at South Carolina. So you got to wonder, was that the case in the NFL too, where he's good enough to stay on the roster, but he wasn't really showing anything in practice for them to trust him with the starting and the Titans really had no choice after the Malik Willis disaster and Tannehill's injury. They had to t- turn to Dobbs and they really had nothing to lose. I mean, they, they probably felt like they weren't going to make the playoffs anyway, the way it was trending. And then if you're starting a guy off the street that was on the Lions practice squad, you know, up until right before Christmas, you kind of got a built in excuse there with, with the injuries, which I know Charlie does not take that as a, a, a proper excuse, but no. The national viewpoint, they're going to give him a little bit of leeway this season because of Tannehill and those injuries. Uh, maybe Dobbs showed enough in those two games. Hopefully, I'd like to see the Titans give him a chance as a backup, but I feel like somebody in the NFL is going to bring him in to at least be a number two uh, if, if the Titans don't. I hope they do. I, I hope that when I say that, I hope the well, Titans come on to him. So I bring, um, Valentino brings up how is Malik a disaster? I, I'm not saying his career is a disaster. I don't, I don't think that at all. I mean, 
He couldn't complete a forward pass. Yeah, I mean, he, he didn't do anything to help the Titans win. I'm not saying know. that they should give up on him. We They knew he was raw when they drafted him. So I'm not suggesting that Titans like cut bait and move on from Willis. But at this point in his career, he's not the guy that's going to go out there and win you a football game. I think he may be. I, I, I don't know. This is 100% speculation on my part. He may be a part of the set of players that got uh, J Rob fired, uh, you know, kind of like, what were you evaluating? What were you looking at? I mean, he, he couldn't complete a pass. I, I what more, what more do you want to say? I mean, Valentine, he says Dobbs didn't either. Yes, he did. Dobbs did complete passes. He did though. Th- that pass, that touchdown pass against Jacksonville is better than most of the passes that Ryan Tannehill threw all season. I mean, like I said, Dobbs, Dobbs wouldn't win you a Super Bowl. I don't think, but dude, that pass, yeah, I'm not out here propping, doing anything like that. I'm not like, propping uh, Dobbs up as a future NFL starter. Like, listen, there's 32 teams that could have employed him, and they didn't until the Titans did. He's on a practice squad, so you've got to trust those front office evaluations more than me or, or a lot of people that are just watching him. Uh, you know, uh, on Sundays, but I, I still think he was better than Willis, and he showed that he can be play a more important role than what he has been playing in the NFL the last five, six years. It It's a cool thing to think about if, if Dobbs could be a part of the, the Titans, obviously. I mean, he, he's he a talked great about guy to have, too. He's a great locker yeah. room guy. The, the team loves him. He knows he blends in well. He doesn't walk in there. Like, he just – there's some people that walk into a situation and they just – it's awkward. They don't fit in immediately. They don't know what to say. They don't know when to be reserved, when to speak up. And Dobbs – kind of has that self-awareness where he knows how to fit in. He knows when to speak up, when not to, how to carry himself. And and that's really important, especially for a backup quarterback, because that can be a, a very awkward role. D- despite what Joe Milton and Hendon Hooker did this year, that's that's not the norm. I mean, I don't know if you keep up with the Steelers. You go look at Mitch Trubisky and Kenny Pickett, and that, that situation's ugly. I mean, Trubisky's making comments this week about, should have taken more time before he signed and thought he deserved more time before he got benched for Pickett, who's obviously the better, you know, answer there. Those situations can be weird. I feel like if, you, if the Titans keep Dobbs, no matter what happens at the starting position next year with Tannehill or they go out and get somebody, bring in a veteran, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Garoppolo. I mean, there's lots of different ways they could think about going. I feel like Dobbs is just the perfect guy to be the number two behind them and, and to help them because he is, he's accepted that role and he's embraced it and he can be like another coach there on the staff and, and kind of help. And that communication could be very important. Yeah, I've, I would love it because I think Tannehill has been absolutely predisposed to injury. Now that Downing is fired, praise be. Um, <laughs> I, I Hopefully that offense will improve and maybe they can use Derrick Henry more effectively in the twilight of his career here. I mean, I think the season kind of proved he's a little bit, he's on the downslope now. He's still, um, he still have 1,500 yards this year. Yeah, he's, he was still great. And, Crazy, and, but, that's like, oh, it was an okay just, year. Just think what you could do if it wasn't just what Todd Downing always called. Run his, left on first down every time. Just running him right into a, a packed box on every first down. What if you didn't do that? Maybe he could go for a few more yards. Who knows? Unreal. So maybe with a new offensive coordinator, they can, they can do more, and then when – I don't want to say when Tannehill gets hurt. I hope he doesn't get hurt. But if if they keep Dobbs and Tannehill does get hurt, um, Dobbs could be right there and kind of be maybe a little Ryan Ryan Fitzpatrick action. Could sort of be like a 
Yeah, that backup's pretty good. Look at him. Get him get himself a nice contract going forward. He's still he's young ish. 27, 28, I think. Yeah, I mean, quarterbacks, you got time. 35, 36. Fitzpatrick went forever. Yeah. Fitzpatrick went until he was like 40. Tom Brady's 45. Uh oh. so I I he love might be it. 45 I, years old in Nashville next year, 46, whatever. Say that again. I said Tom Brady might be 46 years old playing in Nashville next year. You never, you never <laughs> know. True. Come on down, Tom. Look, we, man, I, after, after la- I mean, I know those are crazy scenarios and nobody really knows what will happen with all that. But after the last NFL offseason when, you know, Tyreek Hill going to the Dolphins and Devontae Adams getting traded and then Garoppolo was certainly going to be traded till he wasn't. I mean, all these crazy things happening. I don't rule anything out. Like, teams are desperate to win. And Mike Vrabel wants to win. And they might do something crazy like that. We'll see. Though if you're a quarterback coming to Tennessee without A.J. Brown, that's not nearly as attractive right now. I would love to see, now that Vrabel is free of John Robinson and you've kind of heard that Robinson was a a problem of sorts and kind of, what they say, he didn't work collaboratively or something. Um, Maybe now... Vrabel, I, I said, I want to like Vrabel really badly. The players love him, and he obviously has been solid taking us to the playoffs those years, even though he in the first round. Um, I, you know, I still appreciate it. I'd love for him to kind of have a renaissance here uh, and and make these changes, and, and maybe he can do something. Well, who knows? And and maybe the starting quarterback could be Josh Dobbs. That would be great. I No. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's going to be a long off season. So I think that's it. Uh, Charlie Burris, that is Zach Reagan. I, I did want to put a bow on it because we're not going to, uh, we're not going to record again until after the Tennessee Kentucky basketball game happens. Just to finish, we found out the name of Oscar Shibwe, and then we found out that Todd Downing got fired and got derailed. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, that, that yeah, did happen. Yeah. I could not in my mind think of Oscar Shibwe, obviously, like I said, I'm pre- so happy that Todd Downey got fired while we were doing this. Uh, what a, what a relief, a thousand pound weight off my back. I mean, I, I was talking to friends earlier today and saying like, if they keep downing, I don't know if I'm watching next year. Cause what's the point? I mean, I, I'm to, surprised to, they kept him after the DUI. Yeah, well, and that's what they sh- they should have just fired him then. That was dumb. But um, I mean, I I legitimately I was like, what's the point in watching a team that I know is going to be bad? Why would I do that and just put myself through that? There's no hope in that. And now maybe you get, I mean, maybe new quarterback, maybe new obviously a new offensive coordinator. Maybe things could change. Uh, I it's it was the right thing to do. Um, oh, G White says right here, firing firing. Downing was the right move. Um, all right. So, but with that, Tennessee, Kentucky, it's my favorite thing in the world to have Tennessee beat Kentucky in basketball. Whole side of my family. I was in Kentucky this weekend seeing family, a whole set of people that showed up. They were Kentucky fans dressed in blue. Um, they are so downtrodden right now and discouraged. Their football team stinks their basketball team stinks and that hurts them way worse than the football team. I mean, at least my relatives, they're like, I honestly don't really care about football, but the basketball team, it's ruining my life. Um, and so I just hope that Tennessee beats them by 40, just like they did South Carolina. (laughs) And I don't know that they will. 
Tennessee is obviously the better team, and you gotta you gotta eliminate Shibway from the game, foul trouble, or just good defense, which obviously Tennessee plays. So hopefully, uh, go and win that game for all of us because beating Kentucky in basketball is one of the best things that can happen for uh, for Tennessee sports in general. So hopefully that does happen, and we'll be talking about that next Monday. Yeah, if it's a blowout win with all the stuff with Calipari and Kentucky fans kind of in full meltdown mode these days, I mean, it feels like the Tennessee win would just really push them kind of over the ledge where they're they're get. I mean, you kind of see some of their stuff a little more than I do with the Kentucky sports radio and stuff. Are they out on Calipari totally? Are they so ready to I be done and move you. on? I, I can just tell you one one of my relatives that I was talking to this weekend. It's actually kind of convenient that I was visiting with them huge huge kentucky fan and he's one of the kentucky fans that is just like i pay attention to basketball and if football is good i'll watch he's like mm-hmm. one of those um and he said cal perry could leave it'd be fine uh and then also that cal perry is just all he doesn't care about winning he just cares about getting kids to the league that was a big he said that to me multiple times uh and they're, if you consider that out, I mean, he still gets you top level players. Every kid on that team is a five star. But um, yeah, I mean, I think they just think that he stinks as an in game coach. And that if he did leave for Texas, they'd be like, okay, we need some, we need a change around here. That's what I feel. I don't think that they are just like, fire this guy, run him out of town on a rail. We're done here. I mean, he won a national championship and keeps bringing in five-star players. But if there was an amicable, I'm out of here going to Texas, I think Kentucky fans would probably be relieved. Do you I hope he, I mean, you hope he stays around though, right? Oh, he can. Because if, now, if they get rid of him, I mean, that's a, I mean, it's Kentucky. Yeah. They're not going have any issues getting another coach. Now that Barnes has his number, he can stay forever, as far as I'm concerned. Because <laughs> I feel like I feel like Kentucky would like Nate Oates or something. Like, why would you not go call that guy up and offer him whatever to come yeah. coach Kentucky? And do you would you turn that down if you're him? I don't. I don't see how you could. There, for a program that's willing to pay a basketball coach ten million dollars a year, and obviously it's it's Kentucky. The the support and loyalty and craziness is built in there, almost no matter what, with the fan base there's some really good coaches out there that they could Nate Oates being one of them for sure. Muscleman at Arkansas. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they got options. So stay forever. Cal. It's a lifetime contract. They can't let him go. This is man. If this is true, Steve says UK would have to pay Cal Perry 60 million to go away. Well, I think that's why the Texas thing is kind of popping up because they want him to leave on his own. It's like you hope that he sees that it's kind of getting contentious and things aren't going well, and maybe he wants a fresh start. And Texas is a you know big name school with a lot of money. He could go down there and probably buy recruits just as easy as he can at Kentucky. So I think I think that's the situation that like everybody kind of wins there. So I hope that that's not what happens and it's just chaos. Yeah, stay forever. We need we need you in the SEC, Cal. You can't. You can't go. Well, he, doesn't he have the? Does he have the lifetime contract? The old coach K. Yeah, lifetime deal. So I mean, if he wants to, just, yeah, I'm, yeah, I wouldn't leave. Make him fire you. Absolutely. 
they can fire you and then go to Texas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That that easy. Basically, right. Ed Osier on Cliff, where he says, "We're going to give you your seventeen million to leave." He's like, "When you want me gone? Which <laughs> do you want me to exit? I'm I'm on it." <laughs> you you can buy. I I was looking. My my grandparents live in like rural Kentucky, uh, and they had a house close to them, like a pretty nicer new like early 2000s house i was just looking at zillow just like you know what's a house around here cost uh it was like 6500 square feet um there for and like i think an acre of land for six hundred fifty thousand dollars in knoxville that's like a two million dollar house and it's not like knoxville has crazy property values <laughs> like that's not compared to like nashville in nashville it's like a five billion dollar house it's probably not that much but like you 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 could buy you could buy a lot in kentucky for 60 million (laughs) dollars you could buy the state of kentucky for 60 million (laughs) dollars there's a lot of great people that have come from kentucky but that is that is true a lot of people in like the music industry film industry it it, is a lot of talent comes out of that state in various industries but it is not the most desirable it's not place a lot of a lot of nice land out there with a lot of I wonder why that Horses. is because it is like a great, like site wise, you know, I, yeah. I don't, I don't understand how that happens in certain States and areas, man. I guess it's just the way the industries and stuff work out. I, I honestly don't know, but, uh, ho- whatever happens with Cal, I hope it's the biggest disaster possible. That's all. I, I hope Kentucky the best and I hope it all falls apart. Um, Charlie Burris, Zach Reagan. Thank you to everybody for watching. This has been another great show. Todd Downing is fired! Freedom! Thank you. Thank you, Vrabel. We can stop saying that. God bless everybody. Go beat Kentucky. Fall basketball. Go Vols. Win that game and obviously beat Vanderbilt. I don't want to forget that game's happening too. Beat them both. Uh, Every transfer out there come to Tennessee. I think that's it though. Thank you watching we really really appreciate it uh we'll probably we'll probably have a segment later this week we'll see what we figure out charlie burris zach reagan a to z sports we'll talk to y'all maybe later this week see you guys later